Unspoken Issues. Welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. And it's going to be a quick one tonight, I think. We'll see. We'll see. I know that I wrote an awful lot. So uh, let's not make that the longest part of this podcast. By the way, I'm Jesse Starcher. Over there is Dean Compton. Dean Compton, by golly, are you ready to talk some cable, blood, and metal tonight? Well, I can't really remember many times in my life when I wasn't ready to discuss Cable, leader of X-Force. One of the coolest uh, characters of all time. Just everything he's ever done is cool. Everything he's ever going to do is cool. Got a cyborg guy? You know I'm in. I'm easy to please. He's <laughs> got bring giant that back guns. Up. He's got a cyborg guy. He has a metal arm, and he says cool stuff like, you know, don't forget to have some fun, too, as he's, like, blasting people. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and Derry waits down there. He is ready to talk some cable, blood, and metal, I- I'm-, I'm assuming. Are you ready, sir? Yeah, super excited. Bought these off the rack when they came out. Loved reading them now. Yeah, they were a good time. Well, uh, Cable, Blood, and Metal, like we had mentioned, cover dates October of 92 for issue number one. This was written by Fabian Itzieza, John Romita Jr. Jr. on pencils, if you couldn't tell by them covers. I mean, that is definitely John Romita Jr. Dan Green on inks, Bill Oakley lettering, and Brad Vincata, the colorist here. So I thought what we would do real quick before we get into this, because we do have... Really, there's only like maybe three or four main characters. But when you look at what's going on surrounding Cable, we're going to talk about the members of the Wild Pack slash Six Pack here, as uh, as well as Strife and the Mutant Liberation Front. Not all those members. Uh, we're just going to keep it to the general, hey, that's a group, watch out. First off, the Wild Pack slash Six Pack, which their name was changed. Originally, it was the Wild Pack. We get introduced in this story to these guys as the Wild Pack. They're essentially a mercenary group. They changed their name because Silver Sable apparently was running around with the pack of people called the Wild Pack. So they yeah, were like, okay. Her, her country's number one business. Right. <laughs> right. Like, how uh, could they have not have heard of the Wild Pack? I, like, I, honestly, I like, like, how does that happen? Oh, yeah, them. Right. It, it, would be like, it would be like if you started a store and called it Walmart. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Walmart. I didn't think about Whoops. that. Whoops. My mistake. Didn't realize that was taken. I will, from here on out, refer to them as the Six Pack. Now, they're led by Cable at this point. Now, we start this book. We're, we're going, there's a lot of time jumps. So when I get into the synopsis of the story, we're going to do it linearly. And I think that's a word. I'm going to go from the past and then we're going to work our way to the present. So as there's a lot of time jumps, basically, that serve as a mechanic in the book to kind of make you basically keep you on the hook for what's happening. Causes some good reveals. But regardless, that's not the way we're going to be telling the story tonight. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about the members of the six pack. And Dean, you're here to help me out. Dare you ta- you hop in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cable, I guess, uh, it, it, really to understand what's going on in this book. He's come back in time. He's a time traveling mutant. Uh, now, this is straight from MarvelFandom.com as well. He forms this mercenary group and he is trying to understand the current era's threats and obtain finances. So the best thing he's thinking is like, all right, I'll make a mercenary group. I'm going to make some money. Plus I'll have a lay of the land and understand who these, uh, you know, maybe who my opposition will be. So cables come back from the future into the past. But one of the questions about that, I'm glad that they, they, they stated that because like, as I was, and I wondered about this back in the day when I first got it, I was like, if he came back in time to like stop apocalypse and strife and stuff like why are you slumming with these guys? What's the point? Like, I'm not, I mean, like, why don't you go shoot Stripe or something? But that makes sense if he needed some money, you know? Yeah. Sure, sure. Yep, absolutely. Like, I get paid to smart off. Oh, yeah. You do what, right. you, you do what you're good at. 
So Cable, created by Louise Simonson and Rob Liefeld, first appeared New Mutants number 87 from January of 1990. You know, I'm just the biggest, I'm just a huge Cable fan. One of the biggest there is, I loved him from the time, the first time I saw Cable was the uh, 1991 Marvel Universe card set. He has like this gun that looks kind of like a vacuum cleaner. And, uh, but you can tell it's actually like a techno laser and I'm into techno lasers. And then on the back, like there's only like four sentences about it. It was like the mysterious leader of X-Force. Oh, yeah, this is a big deal. I also, if they have done one, I'm unaware of it. But like, why hasn't there been a Cable Punisher team up? Like yeah, they nice. met in a Marvel UK and like Punisher, like Cable was helping Punisher out of some place. They both converged on the same spot for different reasons, called him by allies. And he's like, got him on his shoulders. He's like, what's the leader of X-Force doing here? And I'm like, that does not sound like something <laughs> the Punisher would say. Cable, what's the leader of X-Force doing here? You know, it's like, uh, it was, anyway, I'd like to see, it's, it was a little silly, but I'd like to see a genuine team up between them. Like, why, why not? Put War Machine in it too and shoot them all. Yeah, one of the things I guess I should probably say is, you, as a mutant, uh, Cable's pretty powerful. The thing that's kind of limiting his power, though, is he was infected, I guess is the right word, with the techno-organic virus, which has changed his arm, you know, to um, um, a metal alloy in some way. And he's always got to keep this uh, virus in check, and that kind of limits his power. But other than that, you know, he's he's obviously good with a gun. So, uh, But, Derry, any, anything else you'd like to add about Cable there? If you ask six different people who are roughly our age what they think the defining attribute of cable is i feel like you'll get six completely different answers like he's a time traveler he's a soldier of fortune he's phoenix and cyclops's kid even though that's not technically true and he's all these other things and from a certain point of view they're all true but this miniseries just because it's so early in the character's history has almost none of that and it's this like straight up 80s action film that is drawn by John Romita Jr. And I love that about it because you don't have to know all the lore. You don't have to all know all the nonsense. You just have to know a handful of characters who are relatively new at the time and you just kind of enjoy the ride. So again, I, I love this. I wish there were more cable stories just like this. Yeah. You know, yeah, the thing sure. you said is like you could get six different answers from somebody about what cable is, but the one thing that will always have in common is cable carries a gun and he always has a gun that's so the only person who could miss with this gun would be this person who could afford to buy it you know like they're always like 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 they he's like, are oh, massive I know there was a squirrel over there i better shoot it with a gun the size of jupiter you know, <laughs> you know you're... and i respect it honestly listen when it comes to brute force if it doesn't work you're just not using it up and cable understands that you're not wrong. I actually wrote an article for the site years and years ago where uh, I covered the Joe Casey run where Cable uses a spear, the the scimitar spelled with the PSI, if I'm correct, yeah. oh, um, wow. which was like the one time in his history where they were like, we're going to get rid of the guns. We're going to try to do something a little bit more creative. And the reason I covered it was because the, the R was by Jose Ladron, who was basically doing a Kirby impression. And I thought that was amazing. But but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Aside from that very limited period of time, I feel like the one defining characteristic is Cable's the X-Man who uses guns. That's his thing. Right, right. <laughs> Which is why, like, just like 18 seconds after he shows up, they bring in Bishop. And like, no offense, but I'm like, did we need Bishop? Aren't these the same guy, like a mutant from the future with big guns who I gotta stop everything from happening? You know, I mean, like, ah, did we need that? I don't know. And again, I haven't really kept up with the X-Books since like 97 or 98. So maybe they've been able to diverge that since. But for me, like, for me, I'm just like, we don't need both. 
And Cable was first and Cable was cooler. It's funny because it's almost like a Superman Shazam thing where Cable was so stupid popular that you could almost see a bunch of writers and editors sitting around a table going, can we do this? Can we do this again? Can we like, can we have another one of these? And someone in the back is like, well, what if he's a cop? What if he's a different ethnicity? And what if instead of having a robot eye, he's got a tattoo over his eye and everyone else there is like, oh yeah, we're, we're done. That's lunch. Someone, someone (laughs) get someone to draw that. We're, we're done. But, but you're right. Cause I remember even in the cartoon, they would both show up and they had very similar backstories. And I was like, wait, why is there so much time travel in this like weird racial allegory cartoon? But I like them both. And to your point, they, the, the most recent arcs for both of the characters, or I don't know, this might've been 10 years ago at this point, they had them like fight each other. Like I need to prevent your future. So my future gets saved. And the other one was like, nah, I got to kill you to prevent your future. So my future gets right. saved. It was like the worst doctor who fan fiction I've ever read. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do like Bishop. I, I, I always go back to the fact that he was the only X-Man on Iron Man's side in the superhero civil war, which always tickles mm. me. And it's just like, that's how diverse the X-Men are. <laughs> yeah. They're so diverse. They have a cop. Great. They, they have the one, they have the one cop. Technically, I guess he was part of a whole future X cop force, but I, I don't know that we ever saw the other ones. So the uh, well, shard shows up at some point. Oh, shard. Oh my God. Yes. I forgot about her. I like shard better than I like Bishop. So XSE. Was that what XSE? XSE. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Xavier's security enforces. Yeah. You want right. to talk about the height of nineties culture. <laughs> All right, next on the list, we got Domino. I, I think she was pretty popular at the time, but she's definitely not the focus of this book. My best description here is a deadly trained mutant soldier with the power of probability manipulation. I'm taking that straight from marvelfandom.com there. Created by Rob Liefeld, first appearance, X-Force number eight. And a matter of fact, a lot of this six-pack, uh, their first appearance is X-Force number eight from January of 1992. I think this is the real Domino. Around this time, it was like revealed that the Domino who had been hanging out with X-Force was actually Vanessa, who was like Tolliver's girlfriend. And she winds up copycat, I think, winds up being her code name. I think this I think this comes out around the same time, within like four or five months of that. Domino's cool. She looks cool. She's uh, arguably the coolest character like in these two books. Like everything she does is cool. Everything she says is cool. She's got a cool staff weapon. Her costume looks really good. Like honestly, like out of everybody here, like her, her seems uh, ergonomical and like maybe not ergonomical because how could you do those jump kicks? But at the same time, it's armored. So somebody shoots her like, eh, I like that or that aspect of it. But uh, I've always liked Domino just, you know, uh, for appearance sake alone. You know, in this in these two comics, I don't think her probability powers come up at all. Oh. But uh, oh. but that is something that, you know, I enjoyed seeing develop later. I'm always a big fan of people who can like who can do that, like Black Cat, Scarlet Witch to an extent. It's always it's always neat to have people to have creators get these uh, characters to utilize those powers without them becoming too much of a deus ex machina. And uh, like I said, it doesn't come up in these two issues. It's mostly just her being like, God damn, why are we doing anything we're not getting paid for? <laughs> I respect it. I'm not a huge fan of Rob Liefeld, the person, but I am overly fascinated by Rob Liefeld, the creator, because you can look at these early days with X-Force and Deadpool and Cable and all the things that spun out of his brief time on the New Mutants book, and you can just see new characters, even if many times they're I won't say knockoffs, but they're obviously inspired by other things that were popular at the time. I don't really have a problem with that because, like, I keep bringing up on these things. I think Captain Marvel's a better character than Superman. So if you're going to steal, 
Yeah, if you're going to steal, steal from what's popular. I really don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're doing something unique. And I'm, I'm fascinated by Liefeld at this period of time because, like, this book is filled with six new characters and then all the villains are new and everything else. And it's like, they're not the most well-developed characters. Most of them don't survive the next couple of years. But I always like to support when I see someone actually doing something new because i think you know so many times it's like oh hey i'm going to be the new spider-man writer and immediately i'm going to give you all the takes on the classic ditko characters and i was like that's great but could you please add to that pantheon that would be really nice yeah um right hey right. uh i got a big shocker for you guys there's a new green goblin it's gonna be a mystery who it is <laughs> yeah you're exactly. never gonna know oh my god it all points to mary jane watson burger but it's not her it <laughs> you was know, they- all along my god <laughs> Dan Slott was on Spider-Man for like, I don't know, 10 years. And he had some great, great stories. And I always go back to the fact that his very last story was what if Norman Osborn got the Carnage symbiote? And I just want to be like, what are you, me in middle school? Like, you're one of the highest rated writers writing arguably the number one character. You can't come up with something better than that. So I always looked at when the Silver Surfer got all carnaged up. We liked that. Oh, I'm not even saying it's a bad story. I'm just saying if that's your if that's your ending, if that's how uh, you're going to end 10 years. No, no, no. You want to throw the car symbiote on Norman Osborn? That sounds great. I just always thought it was funny where it was like, I've been on the book so long. I'm arguably the definitive writer of the modern time. It's like, what's going to be my big exit strategy? It's like, I'm going to take these two toys and mash them together. For like a two-issue arc where he takes over Silver Surfer, that's fine. But just to be like, I don't know, the last word out the door just seemed like... I don't know. You couldn't think of something new. You like you. I just I want that newness, and and Liefeld yeah. delivers it with these characters. Even if again, even if they're not the most original, they don't hang around. He's trying. I, I have to give him credit for that. Even if uh, he's got many flaws stacked against him. I think you Liefeld's know, word for that is echoes. You know, when it comes to these uh, characters, and Jesse, you'll relate to this. I, I and and I don't mean this to sound bad because I think Rob is a hundred times more talented than uh, this guy. But it's a lot like Vince Russo. Rob has a lot from wrestling, you know, a WWE and uh, WCW and, and uh, Impact Wrestling writer who, like, has a lot of flaws, but one of the flaws he doesn't have is coming up with ideas. He will come up with a million idea, idea after idea, and he has ideas for guys that you don't normally have ideas for. You know, like, if you recall, like, no, some of it doesn't get fleshed out, but when you read, like, Rob's X-Force or his Avengers or even some Youngblood stuff, guys you only see for, like, three or four panels, he's dropping hints and stuff about him. Some of it doesn't ever pay off, but, like, he has ideas for even the people who aren't the main players. I think So I think it reminds me of Vince Russo some. Again, I don't want him to sound sacrilegious. Rob Liefeld at least 100 times more creative than Vince Russo. But you kind of see what I'm talking about, Jesse, as a wrestling oh, yeah. fan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's the obvious thing, too, of, of who he's clearly inspired by. And again, I, I hate making the comparison, but this is a Kirby thing, right? Like Agree. Kirby, 100%. Yeah, like Kirby hated reusing the same characters. It was like, if I'm going to be drawing this thing, especially at the speed of light, I want to come up with something new. That's the fun part. That's what I enjoy. So there's a lot of like Kirby energy in, in this early stuff. And Liefeld didn't draw the issues that we're talking about today, but I mean, his... No. His DNA is 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 intrinsic to this thing. And it's just like there's this idea of like, I'm gonna keep throwing new concepts and new characters, things I'm pulling out of the ether at you. And if you like certain ones, they're gonna stick around. If they really touch me, I'm gonna stick around. Deadpool clearly still incredibly popular today, but other ones fall by the wayside. But that's that's not a bad thing. I, I mean, you know, most of the characters that were created in the sixties, a lot of them were really good, but there are, there are definitely ones we haven't seen since then. That's okay too, because you know, it's gonna work century. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the Melter, right? The Melter's right. not showing up in Avengers 4. Turner Avengers D Century 5. would be interesting now, though, because, like, we just go back to 2000, right? Like, he wants everybody to, like, go to raves and stop Y2K. <laughs> Another thing about Liefeld and Kirby, and again, like you said, we're you know Liefeld didn't draw these uh, issues, but if you're going to talk about Cable or Deadpool or like X Force, the conversation's probably going to start and end with Rob Liefeld. That's right. just sort of how it is. When it comes, I, I this is sound sacrilegious to a lot of people, but I feel like the other thing that Rob Liefeld was able to do that Kirby was able to do, uh, especially in the '60s, and I think even more so in the early '70s that he gets credit for, is he captured that zeitgeist and he did so with the, with with pictures that seemed like they were moving. Like you could feel when you look at Youngblood, or you look at Cable, or you look at Deadpool, you can feel the energy coming out of him. You can oh, feel yeah. how this guy would walk. You can feel how this guy would talk. There's just life and movement inside of still pictures that Liefeld brings that I just that I think Kirby excuse me in a different in addition to like creating concepts and wanting to move forward kirby and uh and liefeld both do that crazy crazy just like you know these guys just by looking at them and you can feel them move when you see them the other thing is the reason it's also not bad is and you should ask speaking of ex people who are like you know synonymous with the series ask chris claremont how many times they picked up some throwaway character idea because he was shot he didn't have any more ideas at the time. He, he said this, like, and the Cindy said this, Louise Simonson has said this. They would come in, he'd be like, I don't have any ideas. And they'd go back through some stuff and find something that he character he created or a little plot line and pick it up and go with it. So, like, GW Bridge, he's gone after, like, 97. Like, nobody cares, but then he pops back up in uh, 2007 in Punisher War Journal as a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's going after Frank Castle, which he had kind of done uh, in the 90s, too. So, like, you can pick, even if something gets cast aside, this is something that you can pick up again. And maybe mm -hmm. there's new life in it, maybe there's not, but everything that is old will be new again. And even Kirby, you know, he wanted to create new stuff, but he knew when it was time to bring dust off the Guardian, you know, dust off the Newsboy Legion. Get those guys back in here, dust off Captain America. It's time. So even that, you know, if you create something and it goes by the wayside, it can recycle and come back again. And Liefeld understands that too, I think, on some level. That's a really good point about Cap because everything I've read said he was the one who was championing it. He was saying, like, if I'm going to come back here and work for you guys, can we at least bring back cap you know i understand it's the 60s now but you know it'd be nice to bring him back and you know that's one of the reasons he doesn't come back till avengers 4 because they're going to make sure the book's not going to fold immediately so yeah right. you look back over a rich history and there's always going to be something you can pull out and say you know what this is going to get another time to shine might work might not work a devil dinosaur right for 20 30 years oh, that character great great point a great comic, and and for 20, 30 years, no one did anything with it. And along comes, you know, Brandon Montclair, and he's like, I think I got a, an angle for that. And now it's getting a major adaptation. So things can always be brought back. Uh, OMAC, I mean, you look at OMAC went from like a crazy sci-fi comic that honestly predicted the future as well as anything you can read from the 70s to being one of the central concepts of the DC universe, particularly in the wake of uh, Infinite Crisis. Like, this was something that they keep going back to because there's so many ways to spin it. So, yeah, I mean, we're going off the subject here. Like, Jesse's like, we're getting out of here quick. I didn't know we were going to talk about OMAC, but this is where it goes. You know what I mean? Like, I love it. Like, just I that energy. And, and, and you can, it's weird because you look at Cable, you look at OMAC, Ah, there's a lot more similarities there than you think. Like just thinking about it, like what? Look at them. I don't know. And there, that's the Kirby uh, Liefeld uh, analogy to me, right yeah. there. Cable O Mag. Well, 
next on the list is the young mercenary soldier. And at the beginning of this book, that's pretty much all he is. Uh, but as we go through, things change. And that is Kane, created by Fabian Nitzieza, uh, Rob Liefeld, first appearance, X-Force number two, which I own that issue, uh, July of You're 1991. Rich. Yeah, I am. I'm cashing in, baby. I guess he's 14 because, like, he can't drink. They keep making fun. <laughs> but how did he become, like, such a good mercenary at such a young age? I don't know. I'm sure it's explained somewhere. I, it's funny. I'm not the biggest Kane fan, although I do think his action figure is awesome, and I like that. And uh, I love way, okay. the Weapon X concept. I wonder where he fits into the Weapon Numer number system because he's also Weapon X. Is it like Final, Final Fantasy? Like now Logan <laughs> is Weapon Ten and he's Ten Point Two. You know what I mean? Um, uh, might very well be. Might, might very well be. He's he fills the role that you would have in any uh, buddy action movie. Well, not even buddy, but like you watch like the Dirty Dozen or you watch like the expendables or anything like that there's always like i'm the young one who's a hothead who doesn't know anything and uh the rest of them treat him like the rook that he is and he does a good job you know in that role i, I like i like his look i just for whatever reason never grokked with me but certainly love the look love that he has propeller hands um, yes dude i was going to ask about that it looked like a ceiling fan at the end of his arm i was yeah, like oh yeah, I, got yeah. I mean which <laughs> nice. which you know honestly doesn't sound as threatening as it actually would be oh man you're I like don't i mind will look at nice my hand is a ceiling fan you better watch the fuck out <laughs> what if it had like speed you're like hey listen are you chilling oh you're, you're not that chilly let me move this down <laughs> but no I, like i said i'm not the biggest cane fan but i do i, I had the action figure and uh I, 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 no, I stole it. I stole it. Kane's, Kane's such a great character because when I was young and I was buying this and I saw that there was a new character called Weapon X, I was thinking like, oh, he's going to be really important. You know, why else would you give him such a storied name from such an amazing uh, right. run? And then, of course, you actually read the books and there's, there's nothing there, right? I mean, he's just, he's this younger Cable. Cable's got one robot arm. Kane's got two robot arms. And then he's another one of these characters where I don't know that he's in another story once the 90s end. I'm sure he is somewhere, but, you know, not in any major way. So it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, you can you you can create something at the time and if you don't you know do the legwork and, and make them interesting in some way they're just gonna they're just gonna fade away and Kane's one of those characters where like I know Garrison Kane so well but then he just stops because there's there's nothing else there there's nowhere else to go so <laughs> I, I just find that fascinating that they were like this is Weapon X this is the big character and there's just there's nothing there as opposed to like right. Logan who's just like a drunken former lumberjack and he's got 16 movies and a hundred million comic books so or even Deadpool, who they also connected to Weapon X, who at the same time they connected Kane to it. He got super, super over. Yeah. Also, let me just say, Garrison Kane is either the best or the worst fucking name I've ever heard in my life, and I don't know which, but it's only one of the two. I don't, I don't know, like, because I'm like Garrison Kane. That sounds stupid. It does kind of roll, but Garrison, what? Garrison, you know, come on. It could be a name anytime, and that's that's something. You know, I mean, like. Guy could have landed at Plymouth Rock, or he could be a hipster today. So, like, you got to give that name that. But at the same time, I don't know if I want to know anybody named Garrison. Anyhow, that's uh, that's my thoughts on it. I don't think I do know anybody named Garrison. Why would you? <laughs> 
All right, next up, next up on the list is Grizzly, the big red furred mutants, got superhuman strength, endurance, reflexes, resistance to physical injury, heightened senses, and razor edged claws created by Rob Liefeld first appeared X-Force number 8 January of 1992. Yeah, he's a big uh he's a big bear uh looking guy, that's for sure. He's huge. Um <laughs> I mean, <laughs> did you do that on purpose? You did that on purpose, right? <laughs> you had to. Maybe. Dean, what do you got to say about Grizzly? Well, that's what I was about to talk about. Uh, Grizzly <laughs> is obviously an homage to the Forever People's Big Bear. And I'm being mm. generous by saying homage. And that, like, there are some times when it's pretty much just straight up the same guy. But again, like Rob Liefeld says, this is his, this is an echo. I think you can give him a lot of shit, you know, for like using the echo or whatever. But honestly, like on some level, I'm just glad to see the design keep going. It's a great design. And like the character looks awesome. He's, you know, bigger than God and twice as strong. And, you know, he's got the he's got laser hammers like that. That's his that's his thing. He's just through there just like crushing these dudes who look like a cross between minions and aim beekeepers. And he's just like crushing them left and right and everything. He's cool to look at. Sometimes I take the piss and just be like, oh, just a carbon copy of Big Bear. But even if it is, and I don't think he's necessarily that, it's like I said, it's just cool to see him again. He's he's your prototypical big guy, strong, somewhat silent, says a funny thing every now and then. Everybody likes him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the little John of the mutants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny. In this book, there's a, it's only two issues. Granted, they're oversized issues. But the story really focuses on, on about half the team. So Grizzly is a visually interesting character. He's got red skin. He's the big guy. He's, uh, you know, he's someone you'd expect to see in a superhero lineup. But he doesn't get a lot to do here. But I kind of get that because it's like you're not going to force a storyline in there. And again, in 1992, I don't know how many people would even have been familiar with the Forever People. You know, they, even if you bring back Dark Side and Mr. Miracle every couple of years, Forever People don't tend to get a lot of, you know, reboots over over at DC. So they were I, around at this time because they were in Panic oh, were in they? the Sky and they had had a mini series in like, 90 or 91 but like and and they've appeared there's a new god series that ran like 89 to 91 and they appeared in it but like you're saying it's not like they were like oh man the forever people big posters everywhere you know yeah, yeah, MTV yeah, yeah. ad campaign <laughs> like it's the ultra fucking verse <laughs> ultra verse yeah yeah exactly they uh you know. the forever people weren't weren't teaming up with prime and hard case unfortunately and <laughs> right, right. And even if they were around, you're going to get a lot more play out of Grizzly at this time in an X-Force comic than you are in New Gods number 31 by Paris Collins and Mark Abanier, who I like. I like both of them. Yeah. But like, you know, that's just that's where the market was at the time. Yeah. Next up, GW Bridge. We kind of talked about them already. Trained in, trained in hand-to-hand combat. Uses firearms quite a bit. Skilled strategist. He's all around uh, military man, in my opinion. I mean, he kind of knows his way around a gun. He knows his way around a battle as well. Created by Fabian Nicieza, Rob Liefeld. First appearance, X-Force number one, June of 1991. Dean, anything left you haven't said about GW Bridge? I, I like GW Bridge a lot. Starting with that name, that's a great name for like a first lieutenant type guy in this kind of group. And then like when he goes on to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, like Agent GW Bridge, it, it, it sounds good. I oh, like yeah. his appearances in uh, X-Force, like later on when uh, I think Capullo's doing it then. They're messing around with War Machine, like S.H.I.E.L.D.'s after them and he's one of the guys coming after them uh you know you know because he knows who they are you know because he knows cable i like that i like him later when he when he's a foil for the punisher 
most importantly, one of the least likely characters that you would think you would have seen on X-Men the Animated Series, but he does have a cameo uh, uh, with the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents like War Machine and Nick Fury and him, I think, when uh, the Phoenix is showing up or something. I like that. I, I think that was cool. I remember seeing him on that in that cameo, and I'm like, "That's JW Bridge." So you know, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it's funny, but like, it was neat to see. Like, like, like Derry said, these felt like guys who were going to be very important that were going to grow with me as I grew into an older fan, and that is not what happened. But I still appreciate the memories I have at that time when that seemed like that was what was going to happen. I think honestly, GW Bridge has done pretty good, all things considered. He's treated fairly well in uh, the Punisher War Journal run uh, around, uh, I want to say, 2007. Okay. From that run, from the the Punisher War Journal run uh, written by Matt Fraction, is my favorite line of dialogue of all time. So GW stands for George Washington. So the character's full name is George Washington Bridge. And in the... Well, I know why he goes by GW now. (laughs) In that series, a character asks him if that's his real name, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's a family name. My sister's name is Tappan Z, which until very recently was the name of a bridge that connected uh, Westchester, New Jersey, uh, along the same river. Yeah, so, we still call it the Tappan Z. Ain't nobody calling that motherfucker the Cuomo. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's fine. It's <laughs> just, uh, I read that when that issue came out that week. I laughed then, and every time I've reread that series, I laugh since. So, <laughs> GW is, is in my memory for for that line of dialogue it's really weird to like live here in the northeast now and i live in the hartford area so it's like smack dab between boston and the new york area new york city area and like it is wild how many more fucking references i get now even when i moved to philadelphia like because i lived in philadelphia for a year like all of a sudden i was like god like this makes so much more sense to me now why this joke was made and it also makes sense like you would read books and it would be about like People riding their bikes to corner stores and that kind of thing. You know, I was like, who blow park rides or who does that kind of shit? Or like a picket fence with snow. I was like, I don't know about any of this. And then you were like, oh, well, like all the publishing houses are here. And now that I live here, they just write about what's going on here. So, you know, and I knew that to an extent, but until you get here, you don't realize how much that happens. That oh, wow. the people here and the, and the culture here, they think the world ends probably about Washington, D.C. at best. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely 100 percent true. I could tell you that for certain. Uh, you know? I do not think the world exists past. Uh, I don't know. Let's say halfway through Pennsylvania. <laughs> right, 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 right. I feel like to you. I feel like the people here, the world ceases to exist between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. But somehow you acknowledge Pittsburgh as a place. But like, there's like somehow nothing between. It's like the wastelands of Mega City One. You know, like you somehow get through it. You know, because people here will talk about Pittsburgh. You know, like you know, in a way they won't talk about say Kansas City or Denver or you know Nolens or something. Like they don't. They don't seem like cities. Pittsburgh, about the same size as all of them, you know, somehow real right. to these people. Yeah, I uh, I don't think Ohio is real. And uh, I I didn't know Pittsburgh was a city until I saw Dark Knight Rises. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely the stereotype uh, you guys are thinking of. That's hilarious. I will say I have a, a neat little memory, too, uh, that always brings uh, – every time I see GW's name. So my sister had a real – my younger sister well, – yeah. Uh, I don't have any older sisters. My my sister that uh, she would get a like a videotape or an audio tape 
And in the mid nineties, when she was a real little kid, she would have this little tape player. She ran around and she played every fucking thing over and over and over and over. She had a Sesame Street tape that had a song on there that was Ernie sang the song. Hey, but I got one. What? And even if you've never heard it, the words are really easy. Oh boy, oh boy. So, yeah. so get this one. Okay, here we go. George Washington Bridge. Uh-huh. George Washington Washington Bridge. George Washington Bridge. George Washington Washington Bridge. It gets real sad, Melbert. The other thing I, I want to say about Bridge before we move on is um, I really like Bridge for all the reasons we've talked about, but also I just like that he's one of these characters that they introduced who was a high-ranking S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and shown to be like very competent and was black, and that was never yeah. made a big deal. Like His name mm. is not like you know Black Nick Fury or something. He shows up. He's very good at his job. He's a career soldier. Uh, he respects his friends. He's, he's taken the piss out of Gyrick, which is like the number one standard of being a superhero in the Marvel Universe. True, true. Um, and I always thought that that was great because he just... Also, you know, he quit S.H.I.E.L.D. for his like scruples, which is yeah. another requirement in the Marvel yeah. Universe. Exactly. At some point, you have to tell... Shield, yeah. they're full of shit. Yeah, yeah. But also, he takes over. Like, I remember That's when true. the Punisher is accused of killing Nick Fury. That was a story that hung around for a couple of years. And yep. whenever Shield would appear in a different issue, you could almost, you know, see the editor saying, like, oh, hey, Nick's dead. Shield is currently being run by this character called Colonel Bridge. He's got to be in it. And I remember reading books where Bridge would show up and Bridge would be like, what are you guys doing? Shield's got to clean up your mess now. And then it would just move yeah. on. And then a couple of years later, Fury came back and I was just like, oh, yeah, cool. But I still miss Bridge. And then it was one of those things like it was very, it was very natural. Like, here's a new character. He exists. There's, you know, and it just everyone just moved on. And I just always thought, like, that's great. Like, you just you didn't make a big deal out of it. it was, here you go. And he's a great character. So, you know, bring him back, please. You know what he has, honestly? He has strong, like, Murtaugh energy from uh, yeah. uh, uh, Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. Strong Danny Glover. He's like, ah, motherfucker, I'm, yeah. I'm too old for this <laughs> old shit. For this? Like, yeah. I don't want to do any. No, then he does a great job, and he's really good at it and everything. Yeah. But it is amazing. Like, you know, he's like the Batman movie. He's like, I just sat down, and now I got to go rescue the helicarrier. You know, so that's and he's actually when the helicarrier falls during onslaught, he's on it. Yes, and him and yes. Punisher work together to keep scavengers from like taking all the uh, good stuff, which is pretty funny because it's just like these meth heads on jet skis. Like, right, you, right. You yeah. think they can handle it, but but it is a good story where they work together. It's like, hey, maybe Punisher's not so bad, but of course later on, it, GW Bridge never stops thinking Punisher is bad, and uh, he's probably not wrong. But I it's, just love that about him. He's a, he's 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 crusty and he's you know and old and he's seen it all and he's not sure he wants to see anymore. But it always gets in his face. And it's it's funny too because you know the period we're talking about the early nineties, the Cold War has just ended. Fury is still very much a World War II character. You know, you know, right. Fury is like I you know I remember D Day and I remember fight Nazis and I remember all this other stuff. What a canal. Exactly. He's not yet the Sam Jackson version who's like, no, I, I remember the Cold War. But Bridge is, you know, Bridge is very much like I've been on missions I can't tell you about and I've gone to places and I've killed people that I, we're not allowed to acknowledge. And he kind of like processes that. And you even see it here, like when they go to the Kuiper Pass and everything else. And it's interesting because, you know, like 
what, 10 years before they would have the Sam Jackson, before they would have the ultimate fury. You do have bridge with a very similar backstory. Like I, I could have seen, uh, if you had told me that there was a bridge miniseries that came out that showed him as a fury esque soldier, but in the waning days of the cold war from this period of time, not only would I believe you, I probably would have bought it because I would have been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, what are the adventures you get up to before S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up at your door and like, hey, time to join off-brand G.I. Joe, guys. <laughs> Technically, it's the other way around. But I, oh, well, I guess now that we've had 10 years of the MCU, more people know who S.H.I.E.L.D. was. But for the longest period of time, every time I bring up S.H.I.E.L.D., someone would be like, oh, yeah, that's like G.I. Joe, but like less fun. Right. I'm like, yeah, sure. Fine. Great. Good. Let me do a quick intro for Hammer and I'm going to turn it loose to you guys here for a second. So Hammer another skilled mercenary soldier. I didn't really see that he has any type of powers or anything. He's just kind of here uh, as part of the six pack created by Fabian Itzieza, uh, Rob Liefeld, first appearance, X-Force number eight, January of 1992. Dean, what are your thoughts on Hammer? All I really know about is what happens here, that he gets paralyzed and then later he'll refuse to accept the cure that they bring back from Apple Crust, which is a a terrible name, by the way. I do not like this name for future New York City. Um, it's just, it doesn't. I understand why that's the name, and I get where it's coming from, but it does not sound as cool as they want it to. But mostly, I just know him from these issues that he remembers everything. He's a super pro. He acts like he doesn't like Kane, but he does. He fills that role, you know, kind of the way that um, I, I can't remember the guy from Predator, but he gets mad when Sean Black dies. Yeah, you okay. know, I know. Like I can't remember his name, but like they're like, oh, I'm going to get him. You know what? I mean, like, that's my friend, you know, or then like, or even when Jesse the body Ventura dies and the one guy's like, oh, this is it. Like they say, you know, he has that relationship with Kane and um, he remembers everything. And thanks to his memories, Kane is able to track down Cable. But like I said, later on, he wants Hammer cured, but Hammer does not want the cure. Apparently the disease is better. I, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I am not very familiar with this character. The first time I ever remember seeing him was as a trading card. And I was uh, clear so ultra. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was so confused because not only did I have no idea who he was, I don't know if I just didn't remember <laughs> him from this series or what, but he had no powers. And I was like, wait a right. second, why are you? Why? Are, and, you know, you read this series and you see like, oh, he's he's super smart. He can build whatever the story uh, requires. And then to see him uh, be physically paralyzed in these issues is kind of interesting because it almost has like, you know, I kind of expected him to turn into the villain of the piece because you're thinking like, that makes oh, sense. yeah, right. You, you super smart guy, former soldier of fortune, betrayed by his friends. Now he's restricted to a chair. He only has his mind. It's like, oh, OK, comics have taught me you're going to build Ultron or some other nonsense and right. the heroes are going to fight you for the next 50 issues. So, And even in real life, a guy like that would have every reason to be bitter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, betrayed by his friends, can't move, lives with his mom. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, moving on to Strife. Let me tell you about the mystery of Strife, like, and how I was like, oh my gosh, who, who could this guy be? Now, going into this book, not much is known about Strife uh, this time. Uh, other than he was a sworn enemy to Cable, um, I did look it up, and apparently in April of 91, the readers get to learn that Under the Mask, and I yep. think going into this book too, Under the Mask, it, it, you see New Mutants number 100, that's Cable's face. Yeah, yeah, I had New Mutants number 100, and it, and, well, my friend did, and like I remember reading it, and being like, <laughs> because also, on? like, you're like... <laughs> At the end of that, you're like, Cable and Strife could be the same person. You, you know, you've never really seen them in the same place at the same time. You've only seen right. Cable picking on little mutant kids. 
this is very interesting stuff. I mean, yeah, it was a big, it was a big deal to me. Right. Yeah. Uh, created by Louise Simonson, Rob Liefeld again. Here's the thing. They had it listed as his Strife's first appearance as New Mutants 87. Yes. I think they were both in this. They both appear for the first time. So they were both in the same issue. Okay. Uh, I have that and I haven't read it in a while. So I probably won't get it out and read it though. January of 1990. You know, the thing about Strife, honestly, within the X Men like pantheon of villains, in a place where there's lots of over the top hams, he might be the most extra X villain of all time. <laughs> like he's just like like if you read like Strife Strike File, it's basically like a bunch of hateful emo poetry about like the people he does. Oh, these people are mean to me. You know, um, I think the thing about Strife though, coolest. It looks so cool. You couldn't help. He, you know, he had he had a cool accessory with his action figure, this weird mace thing, and his you know the helmet flipped up so you could see that he looked like Cable and all this. And like, yeah, when I was first getting into it before Executioner song, um, probably, you know, I probably started getting comic books like about eight or nine months prior when that came out. I was like, oh, man, this is big. It felt like big time, you know, and everything. And I don't know if they've ever done anything with Strife since like 1996. Maybe. <laughs> I have no idea. But at the time, he was huge. And he just and I liked the X. I'm not really making fun of him for being extra. Like, I like the extraness of it. I liked how this guy was apparently like, you know, Cable, but Shakespeare. So I enjoyed mm. that, you know, uh, you know, about it. Just like he was always like speaking in riddles, you know, to, for another wrestler, uh, wrestling conference in Raven. I felt like they were very similar, powerful guys who could hold people under their thrall and who never quite told you what they were really up to. My favorite Stripe story, though, of all time happened at Dragon Con 2019, and I was cosplaying <laughs> as NES Jason. Because that's how I roll, y'all. And I ran into these two guys who were cosplaying as Cable and Stripe. And they were, oh my God, these costumes were on point. They were talking to me about uh, the NES, NES Friday the 13th game and shit. And all of a sudden, like, the Strife guy, like, lifts his helmet. They're twins. Oh, oh, nice. Really? I'm like, wow, wow, wow. Well, yeah. well, well done. Like, well done. Wow, That's wow. Great. Like, I, I wish I had stayed in contact with the really great guys. But that is honestly probably my favorite Strife story. Not my favorite Cable story, but my favorite Strife story. That is great. Strife's an interesting character because... I, I loved him when I was a kid. I was like, this guy's great. He's got this huge mask. He's got this arm. He's got this billowing red cape. Clearly, Fight. yeah, exactly. Clearly, he is going to be an A-list, top-shelf supervillain. And he never does anything. But reading this now, there's this whole like parallel narrative that kind of like comes together that, I, again, I'm just making this up out of nowhere. But like, you know, there's the Marvel villain Kang the Conqueror. And we know, and the characters know, that he will one day become Immortus, the the leader of, you know, time, the last person at the end of time, whatever it is. And it almost seems like there's, there should be something similar going on with Cable and Strife. Because we know Cable hates Apocalypse, the other big uh, X-Men villain who's gotten a little bit more screen time. But Strife doesn't. Strife seems to be, you know, with that and, 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 and very excited for him. And Cable's already shown to be pretty old. And I always thought, like, oh, what if the reason Strife is wearing a mask is he's an even older version of Cable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Cable just hasn't gotten there yet. But Cable's going to go through all this Soldier of Fortune, X-Force nonsense. And one day he's going to realize, like, you know what? I'm not changing anything. Let me switch sides. And then that's Strife. Strife puts on the mask comes back and says, listen, I'm going to wait for you to uh, wise up, but I know I win. You, you can't beat me because I live this life as you. And, uh, you know, it's like a Megatron Galvatron thing, but there, that is uh, nowhere. Warlock, 
Or like Warlock and the Magoose in the 70s. Oh, right, right, right. I knew there was a better example. Than you know, okay. yeah, like, he's like, ah, I'm just you 300 years from now, you fucking despotic pope. <laughs> I can't wait until Adam Warlock is in the movies and now everyone can start talking about that Jim Starlin series because that is the trippiest comic Marvel has ever made and no one ever talks about it. I just can't wait until everyone is forced to read it. Well, I got a podcast for you. I have a, a buddy of mine by the name of Al Sedano does a podcast called Hold On Resurrections and Adam Warlock and uh, Thanos podcast. They just finished up the death of Captain Marvel, um, which was really good. good. Yeah, it, it, that was really good. But anyway, Jim Starlin um, obviously worked out his issues with the Catholic Church and the government of the United States of America and war in those issues. Like, you can read it, and you can see exactly how this is. And also, like, his own duality and that kind of thing, but especially those big three, like in the Warlocks, mm-hmm. in the, stra- the Strange Tales Warlock, to be specific. Well, to, to round this character discussion out, and, and you guys do not have to comment, because I did not, like I said, we, we Mutant Liberation Front, we're just going to call it that. There's a bunch of characters that pop up in this book, all with all sorts of different abilities. My my notes for the Mutant Liberation Front are they're a terrorist organization of mutants upset with how mutants are being treated, brought together, and led by Strife. Created by Louise Simonson, Rob Liefeld, first appearance, New Mutants 86, December of 1989. Yeah, these, these are the characters that are kind of doing Strife's bidding. Number one, I think Dragoness is a character that predates the Mutant Liberation Front. Like, I, like she fought, like, I don't know if it's the same person, but they look exactly the same. Because she fought uh, Black Widow in, like, Marvel fanfare that oh, George really? okay. Perez did. Uh, and, and it's really good. Dragoness has a great look. Like, I mean, with the wings and that cool helmet and everything. Reaver's like a semi-important character for a little bit. Like, he makes the jump to the Ultraverse, and they try and develop oh. him some. For whatever reason, he always reminds me of, like, the lead singer of Green Day. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> I think they look like each other in some weird way in my mind. They what probably is his really name? Don't. Billy Joe... Armstrong? Oh, Armstrong, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Like, I think at that time, like now they don't really, like when you had the short hair and everything, Mutant Liberation Front uh, might be the greatest name for a group ever. Honestly, like, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is a stupid name because nobody who's know. like, with the exception of like Dungeons and Dragons or DC or Marvel deities who like embody concepts, their physical, you know, embodiments of, of, of those things. Nobody's like, well, I'm the evil guy. Like Darkseid does, but Magneto does it. Like like Doctor Doom does it. You know, even the Joker. Like I'm not really evil. This is just the way fucking things are. You're just an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, very few characters do that, and especially and especially groups that have like political aspirations. Like the last thing you want is bad branding. So right, Brother dude. to Evil Mutants, a terrible name. The right. Mutant Liberation Front was in line with the language that was utilized around the time. The Palestinian Liberation Organization. The Syria, the uh, the Symbionese Liberation Army, which they're not good people, but like this is the liberation was a big word for like these kind of things. There's a uh, it sounds like you're uh, the Kurdish freedom. the Kurdish uh, Liberation Front was another one at the time. Although they've gotten uh, absorbed in the KPP since. Don't worry about it. Nobody cares but me and the Kurds, obviously. Well, they should. 
Um, uh, like, like, you know, God bless them. But like, this was really good language to get across what they were doing. You're like, what's an X-Man? What's an X-Force? The Mutant Liberation Front. Oh, they think mutants are oppressed and they would like them to have equal rights. Or And, and they're probably going to engage in what are perceived to be terrorist uh, activities to do so. They will call themselves freedom fighters. Nothing there but respect go. for that name. Whoever came up with that and that feels like a Rob thing, just fucking brilliant. Uh, they have an acronym that I don't think has aged well. No, no, <laughs> no uh, you know, they couldn't possibly have foreseen that, obviously. But it is hilarious oh, no. to read these issues and see that and have to take a second back and be like, oh, yeah, right. That's what that would be. Um, uh, like, oh, there's no why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of got to look at that quickly. Um, and it, it's it's funny, too. I don't know if you guys have ever read the one-shot Doom Force, uh, which is the X-Force parody that yes. Grant Morrison did when they were working on the Doom Patrol. It's one of those parodies that really works as an example of what it is parodying. And if you had told me that the villains in that were the MLF and somehow an I were worked in there, I'd be like, oh, absolutely, no questions asked. And that's what this felt like at times, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. is no one, is there not going to be it like a Venture Brothers character that pops out of the woodwork and goes, wait, maybe you guys should workshop that name a little bit? But again, it's 92, so they, uh, you know, they were they clearly copying the PLO or whatever. <laughs> right, right. It would have aged better if they were the MLO, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, they were, but, but, but front sounded cool. Like, it was like what people said at the time. I mean, like, again, I think it's still a cool name. The acronym is not great. I, I love. Well, look uh, at All-Star Squadron. Now, they knew, they knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. Yeah. But uh, I, the MLF is another great example of, of what I was talking about before, which is just like, New character, new character, new character, new character. Like, are they going to work? No, probably most of them are not. But at least you're trying. At least you're coming up with something new. And again, to Dean's point, occasionally you get a really good design. And someone just looks at that. It gets burned in their memory. And 20 years later, they're like, oh, man, what was that zero about? Can I bring him back? Look, you know, no, you never know where it's going to go. I mean, honestly, you can you can shit on him and I get why you would, but forearm looks cool. And I understand like there should be a guy named forearm who has four arms. Like honestly, the only real question is why it took until like 1990 to get that done. Yeah. My, my favorite I'm with you. I, I love Reaper. I thought he had just a great simple design. I now cannot unsee the green day connection. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, it took me a while to remember, like, oh, Marvel already had a character called, like, the Grim Reaper. Right. And I always thought he was incredibly boring. <laughs> and again, it was one of these things where it was like, Rob took the basic conceit of that. They both even, by the end of this series, he's even got a hand that was replaced with a scythe, which was the yeah. other Grim Reaper's defining characteristic. And it's like, this one works for me just a little, a little bit more. I'm not sure why, but a little bit more. So, again, I, I just like the new ideas. You throw them all out and you see what sticks. Well, I mean, I think that this Reaper, like, we don't ever learn a ton about him, it seems like, but it seems like there's something to him. He obviously believes something or he wouldn't be in the Mutant Liberation Front. The other, the Grim Reaper has a great visual and I love his look. He doesn't mean anything aside from his related, he's Eric Williams, he's related, he's Wonder Man's brother. If you watch, like, the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Hero cartoon, I think he's really cool there where he has other motivations and does other things. He's, like, working for Hydra. In this, in the comic books, it, Eric Williams is like, oh, I miss my brother. Voiced by Lance Henriksen, right? Am I yeah, making I that up? Oh, oh, really? 
Oh, oh, man. I know it didn't come out in the 90s, but anyone listening to this who has not watched Earth's Mightiest Heroes, best Avengers adaptation outside of the movies. Freaking flawless. It is on Disney+. Plus. It is worth every second of your time. Yeah, it's great. All right, guys. Well, we have definitely put some work into talking about the characters that show up in this book. So now you guys get to sit back and listen to me talk, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a nice little synopsis of both of these issues. Might take about five minutes, so grab you a drink, whatever, and then uh, we will then reconvene here and talk about your guys' notes on the issues uh, as well. So here we go. The past. All right, that's where we want to start things. Good place to start, usually. The past. So in these two issues, we learn about the Wild Pack, a mercenary team, Six Pack, a mercenary team who later became known as the Six Pack that runs international missions for a man named Tolliver. The team consists of Cable, Domino, Kane, Grizzly, GW Bridge, and Hammer. On a mission in the mid-80s, they head to Khyber Pass in Afghanistan to fight off some Soviets. The team soon find a hidden installation. and Once inside, they encounter some resistance, but also notice that the facility seems oddly new. Unnerved, Cable gets the team to head further into the facility to find the leader of those they are fighting, Strife. Strife claims he is working for Tolliver as well and ends up winning the battle, causing the six-pack to retreat. Team is also upset with Cable for going off script and breaking a contract to, asta- to attack Strife. Now, eight months pass as, six- as the six-pack have been on the run, being hunted and frequently attacked by those that serve Tolliver. So something happened. I guess Tolliver got upset with what they did, and now he's going after the six-pack. Cable tries to convince the team they need to deal with Strife first, and they are having a hard time trusting him, but but decide to follow his lead. As the six-pack hone in on Strife's location, they invade his compound to try to take him take the fight to him. Strife, however, is ready for him, taking Kane by the neck and threatening to kill him. When Strife says he will release Kane for a data disc that they uh, I think they had taken from his facility, Hammer immediately agrees and goes to make the trade, but before he can get there, Cable shoots Hammer in the back. So, as Strife teleports away, the compound begins to explode, desperately trying to stop Strife from escaping. Cable time jumps out of there, leaving the rest of the team to fend for themselves, and most of the team is able to make it out except for Kane, who ends up losing his arms and legs in the explosion. Now, let's go to the present day. Presently, Cable's tracking the operations by the Mutant Liberation Front, an organization of mutants doing the bidding of strife. It seems lately they have been targeting museums, stealing ancient artifacts, and Cable is trying to anticipate their next move so that he can find and have his final confrontation with strife. Now, with the belief that Cable is strife, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent G.W. Bridge finds the new Weapon X, Kane, and tells him that Cable has returned and that he wants him brought in. Kane travels to Hammer's home to find him still paralyzed as a result of Cable's shot to the back and in a wheelchair. Kane requests a list of old safe houses that Cable may be in in order to track him down. Sometime later, as Cable is unraveling the location of Strife, Kane appears outside looking to face off with him. The two begin to fight, and when Kane finds a moment, he shows Cable a holographic image of Strife, removing his helmet to uncover Cable's face underneath. Cable stops cold, struggling to understand what is going on, but one thing is for sure, he wants answers. Kane and Cable. (laughs) Kane and Cable put aside their differences and decide to place a tracker on an artifact that Strife will steal next. Successful, they track the artifact to Mexico, unaware that Strife is actually expecting them. Once they arrive at the location, the MLF attacks, and the pair realizes they have walked into a trap. Strife is caned by the neck once more and says he will release them in exchange 
for control of Cable's computer, Professor. Cable agrees, and as Kane is released, Cable incinerates the Professor data disk before giving it to Strife. Enraged, Strife lets loose an attack that rocks Cable to his core, but Kane is able to intervene using an electromagnetic attack that takes Strife down but destroys his own arms in the process. Cable grabs Kane and transports both of them, both of them into the future to escape. Awakening, Kane finds his arms have been repaired and look human. He's like looking at his arms. They uh, they are they aren't uh, robot arms anymore. Uh, they look human. And as Cable actually took him to the future to get him fixed up with some future tech, Kane asks Cable if saving him was worth not getting to strife, and Cable says he'd do it again and not change a thing. So there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, that is two issues in one synopsis. What are your thoughts, Dean Compton? Man, they're good buddies. <laughs> uh, you know, I like it. It's like you said, it's a rollicking uh, action adventure, you know, an action adventure uh, movie, basically. This might have been the first time I saw the Silver Samurai, which is pretty cool because he's like the only villain who ever fought Cable and John Belushi. So kudos <laughs> to him. Nice. The Strife thing, like, it's weird that, like, to me, that Kane thinks Cable and Strife are the same because he's been, twice, he's been in the same place where, like, Cable and Strife were, like, not in the same, you know, like, Strife was holding him. He was looking at Kane, you know, like, I think yeah, that part had, was, you know, pretty We had this discussion offline. We did. And y'all right. were like, ah, oh, maybe it's, like, a future thing. I don't know, but, like, it, this confused me then. It still confused me now. Also, what's funny, there's a part in the second issue where, like, Cable uses a teak shield against the Mute Liberation Front. And he's like, am I just being soft because they're kids? These kids are fighting a war. And But, like, the issue before, he shot fucking Sumo in the head. He right, killed dude. this guy. He marked him, like, right through the head. And it's a great shot. Like, it might be the best, like, this bullet right through. It might be the best panel in the book. Like, you know, it's, and, you know, I mean, Sumo, who's apparently his mutant ability is to be a Sumo wrestler. Because, like, you know. <laughs> That's what, he, that's what he's doing. But, like, he's dead. And, like, but then later he's like, am I soft on him? I was like, I don't think you're very soft on Sumo. No, uh, nah, dude. Wow. Um, I enjoy Cable's monologue to himself. I think that he, I think it's neat to watch him, like, make these changes. Not necessarily in real time, but you're seeing Cable then and Cable now. I don't know if I'm different, like, values-wise than I was when I was, like, 25. But certainly I'm calmer. And I'm, and a lot of things that I would have thought were more important and more important battles to win, I don't even fight them anymore. Because, you know, you've got to really, you got to really pick which hill you're going to die on. And I think Cable has decided that he's no longer going to allow his friends to die on the hills that he's chosen. And I think that that's really cool to watch Cable come around to that. When Kane loses like his arms and legs for whatever reason, like I, I I didn't know this song at the time, but later on I would be introduced to Metallica's One. One. And oh, so like I, I would one. every time I read this synth, it's like oh, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> and I like the song. Don't get me wrong, it's it's very sad and long, but it's a good song. Like I could just see Kane just sitting there like playing this over and over again, oh. and um. You know, everybody else, like you said, everybody here is pretty interesting. They do their own thing. Um, kudos to Fabian for, like, if you're looking at the timeline in real time, they would, the six pack stuff would have happened in like 88. And he has the Dodgers in the World Series on the TV, and they're up in game six. But the 88 series only went five games. 
So, I, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not shitting on him. I'm saying way to put that to six so that nobody can say, well, that was 88. Look at this. The Dodgers, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a nod that this would have been 88. The Dodgers are winning the game, but they're winning game six and it's not over. So I think that's cool to give it a real grounding and make it feel like of its time without like chaining it to that time. Like, if you're me, you see what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Those, those are some of my big things. I'll probably just interrupt Darian in a minute and tell him he's wrong, so I'll let him go ahead and talk. <laughs> well, hold on. I got I to gotta get this discussion in here real quick. All right, all right, let's hear so, it. So, reticle eye, cybernetic eye, okay? Do you think they function the same? Well, here's the thing about, like, Cable's eye, and maybe this has been answered, I don't know. His body, he's not really a cyborg, right? Like, he's a techno-organic virus. Techno-organic. He's keeping in chat. So, like, is his eye even cybernetic? I don't know. He put a torch in his one hand in this, which is pretty neat. I don't know how that works here. I think an eye with actual crosshairs on it, more useful. Cable's flaring-ass telekinetic eye, cooler. (laughs) In most cases. Personally, I think Deadshot's eye is, like, the cooler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to raise a stink about how Cable shoots Hammer in the back. Why not just shoot the disc? And like go, right. you know, go on, go on about yourself. I was but, gonna say the same thing. I was like, even if you didn't shoot the disc, like you can't shoot this guy in the leg. Like, why do you have to shoot, <laughs> like, right shoot this back, guy in the dude. spine? I'm sorry, I had to do this to you. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, sh- just take him out some other way. Don't paralyze this guy. It really speaks to the obsession that Cable has with Strife. I mean, even in, in, in the past, when he leaves them there to fend for themselves when the place is exploding around them, he's like, I cannot let this guy go. And he time slips out of there, leaving this team that he's been hanging around with for years to possibly die. That's yeah. how obsessed he was. And so yeah, you, you and like, make it- later on, he like he time slides with Kane. He could have time slid them out of there. You would like, think, I, I, I don't know, I, but I understand that also gives him the arc of growth here where we can yeah. see that at the end of this, he's like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to save my friend. I'm going to pick my friends over my obsession. So, yeah, and I mean, also, like, it's the future time stuff. Like, maybe he feels like he can't let them know that he can time travel and all that stuff at that point. For reasons you're saying, it's like it's better if they die in a cave-in then go to Apple Crust. <laughs> but, you know, I get it. I mean, sometimes time travelers make choices like that. So that's probably what it's more along the lines of. Right. But right. I, And add in his obsession like you're talking about. Right. All right, Derry, what you got, man? Well, first thing, before I forget to mention this, I don't know if either of you uh, or any of you listening at home read these issues, uh, Cable, Blood, Metal, on the Marvel Unlimited app. But if you do... The scans appear to be from the Australian edition, which I got a kick out of because on the very first issue, it says $3.80 AUS, which I had not seen before. Uh, I've seen the Canadian one. I've seen the American one. And I just thought that was that was cool because it's one of those things where it's like you really got to be looking for it. And I just I don't know who's responsible for scanning these or getting these on there, but it probably didn't even occur to them. Uh, So that was just David Finn from Signal of Doom. Everybody should check it out. It's a good thing. But he probably did it because he's fucking like that. He'd come over here. He'd be like, I want Australia to be repped a little bit. That's, that's, that's like, my yeah. I'll tag him in this fucking episode. For Thanks sure. for the scan, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
That's great. The uh, the the other the other thing that I wanted to mention was, you know, you guys mentioned ba- basically how terrible cable is at making decisions, and, and that was something that I was thinking about in this too, because, you know, you you have these two issues where cable at no point does he make a good decision. And if you think about it, that's kind of consistent over his entire arc. And it's funny too, because it's like, we forget, but he's an old man, right? He's like, he's, he's at least as old as professor X he's lived for decades, but most of that's been in this post-apocalyptic hellscape. And even, even at times when he's had access to, you know, the good life, he's still fighting. He's still dealing with everything else. So he, he must have like the most advanced and most complex version of PTSD ever seen in fiction. Mm. Cause not only is he dealing know, with Wolverine wants to have a word. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. But, but you know, with cable, it's like, I'm not sure who my parents are. I'm fighting a despot that's been around since the high kingdom of ancient Egypt. Uh, he's got a chronic medical condition. He's also, you know, as strong a psychic as any, any of the other characters that we know of. And you kind of factor this all into this guy who's been fighting a war for decades, who doesn't blink at drafting a bunch of child soldiers in new mutants and then almost immediately letting them down. And it's kind of like, Oh yeah, Cable's got issues, you know, it's, I, I don't know if it's intentional, but the things we're pointing out, like, well, why did he shoot him in the back? Well, cause that's what someone who's not thinking straight is going to do. That's the most obvious solution, right? You want to stop someone, you shoot them in the center mass and you, and you hope for the worst. Uh, so it's one of these things where it's like, I'm very fascinated by the fact that Cable is this traditional Marvel character where he's got incredible power, but he's got just as many drawbacks to go with it, right? Like how many people would introduce a character who's like, oh, he's got nearly unlimited psychic energy, but he can't use any of it because if he does, he's going to turn into this metal hunk. Like that's the most Marvel origin I've heard since like Donald Blake. So it's one of those things that I really like about the character. And I think it's one of the reasons we're still talking about him 30 something years later when, you know, hammer who could be very interesting. Hasn't come back. Hammer number negative 0.1 will be coming out anytime now. (laughs) There is a character named hammer in the new star Trek show who I have, uh, I guess you would call it a crush on at this point. And I, I, that was, yeah, that was all I was thinking of when I was reading this is I really want this character to be voiced by Bruce Hordak and something going forward, even though the two characters have nothing to do with each other. And that actor is white. But anyway, I think Cable is incredibly messed up. And I think if you look at it through that lens of a guy who hasn't had a, a chance to process all the awful things he's been through, then a lot of these decisions make sense because it's like, oh, yeah, people keep putting you in positions of authority and positions of leadership because you've survived war before but maybe you shouldn't you know maybe maybe you should uh take a step back and of course he would tell you well if i do that the giant blue mutant is going to kill all your children and again i go back to the idea of like well maybe he already did and you're not going to change that so that's how i viewed this story yeah you know an interesting thing you're talking about cable and you see it here as well there, there are bad decisions contextually, but if it's somebody who's like the first 35 years of their life are like literally in, in a war, they grow up in a war zone, they, you know, they, they're, they're a child soldier themselves. They're, you know, and like you said, they, they kind of become like a battlefield sergeant, battlefield general by attrition. But at the same time, you make decisions that are the most efficient that can serve the most of your resources. So yeah, what are you going to do? I shoot fucking hammer in the spine because like that means he 
can't hurt me later, all of these things. It takes care of all, all, all of these issues that could possibly come up. I think it's really cool to see this, too, because in a few issues, he's going to come back to X-Force. Like, I think around X-Force 25, 26. And, like, he actually, you know, I don't know exactly where it goes. I can't remember. But he tries to be nicer. Like, at one point, Shatterstar's, like, flipping the channels as fast as he can. And he's like, hey, he, he just programs the computer to do it for him. You know, like, hey, change the channel every point in three seconds so he can just stop hitting the button. And he tries, to, and, and, and it's not like he's like, oh, I'm a softie now. But he realizes that for people to be efficient, you can't treat them like they're automatons, that soldiers are also people. And if he wants to be the best soldiers he can be, he needs to know and enjoy their company on an individual level, which he probably should have already known because he had been a goddamn soldier for a long time. But apparently had to relearn it again because I think that just happens to us. Cable's been around forever, and every one of us finds different ways to make the same mistakes again. So that's probably what he did here. The other thing I, I want to mention before we get too far into this is this art is by John Romita Jr., who I am just the biggest, the biggest fan of. I mean, obviously, his decades on Spider-Man and pretty much everything else he's ever drawn. Uh, but... <laughs> This two-issue series is a product of its time because there are some splash pages and uh, full shots that just they only they only work here, but they work here really well because they are what you expect to see in a comic right. inspired by Rob Liefeld. And again, I'm not saying that as a negative because a lot of this works. And when I read this originally when I was a little kid, I was like, oh yeah, th this is what comics should be. Like Issues like this are why I didn't think Avengers or Fantastic Four or Justice League were worth reading until years later because I was like, you don't have full splash pages of a guy with a robot arm and a glowing eye jumping out of the rafters with two giant guns. Why would I read a book with Bloodwind or um, The Proctor? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, Batman's got some pouches, but none of the rest of them have any. That's a bad example. I wouldn't have read a Batman comic back then if my life depended on it. I'll barely read one now. But, yeah, but uh, like, the, the, talking the, about how this looks like Rob Liefeld, if memory serves, he was supposed to have drawn this. And oh, like, okay. You know, I mean, again, don't quote me on this. I recall reading this somewhere, though. You can put it in the podcast if it's wrong. I have no problem being corrected. But, like, JRJR uh, came on in, like, a hurry as a pinch hitter, which, you know, sort of tracks because Youngblood drops in uh, April of 92. This drops in, like, October of 92. Yeah. So it would make the timeline adds up that they would have thought he was going to do, you know, two issues of this. And honestly, according to what I understand, he did still think he was going to do it. Like, Rob Liefeld and Jim Valentino, like, thought they could do Marvel and Image stuff at the same time. Yeah. And Marvel was like, actually... We don't deal with people we feel pissed on our faces. You know, I, we, we don't. We, do that. we can that. argue whether they did or not. I don't think they necessarily did. They made the best business decision they could for themselves. But Marvel thought it was insulting, like businesses always do, whenever a worker is like, "Hey, I'd like what I deserve." So you know, I mean, so Marvel's like, "No, we're not going to work together." But that would track. And I remember reading this, and it had to be turned out in a hurry. And it would make sense. It's like make it as lifebuilding as you can. Update. Hey, just breaking in here real quick. Decided I'd ask Liefeld himself. I reached out to him on Twitter. The question I asked was, hey, Rob Liefeld, were you supposed to be involved in Cable, Blood, and Metal prior to the image exodus? And Rob responded with, it's based on my notes slash outline that I gave editorial as I was going to write and draw it. It's why it's so reflective of my work. So there you go. Right from the man himself, Rob Liefeld. Back to the show. 
Yeah. I hope the sequence of events was most of the founding partners are in the Marvel conference room telling them they're not going to work for them anymore and trying to get out the door to go across the street and do the same thing to DC. And right. one of the editors, probably the X-Men editor, I guess, is running Bob around. Harris. Bob Harris. Yeah. Bob, Bob Harris. Uh, Bob Harris. Bobby, Bobby Boy is running around all the offices going, who can draw this? Because we're pretty sure we just lost Liefeld. And J.R. Jr. is <laughs> sitting in a room and they know he's royalty because, you know, considering who his father was. And it's like, you. You're gonna draw this, and then you know, yeah. sixty days later, this uh, this came out. But uh, he had it, just done the hot Punisher run, the Punisher War Zone, which you know, Punisher War Zone number one sold a million copies, like literally a million copies. You know, what I mean, so like this is a guy who was one of the few names they had. Who do they have left? It's an artist name at that point. Uh, JRJR, Ron Lim. I don't know. I don't know who the next guy would be after those two. I know we wind up with some great guys like Greg Capullo comes along, yeah. et cetera, you know, but like yeah, at yeah. that time, that moment, I think it's just those two. And I think, I don't think Lim could have done this just. No, I, I, I think J I think JR is perfect uh, for, for this book. And again, <laughs> to your, to your point, I mean, he's, he's aping what's important of that style, which is always JR's strength. Every one of his books, don't necessarily look like each other like yeah he's got the same blocky shape but he knows what he's working on you know he's been doing this long enough uh and, and i definitely feel that here because it feels like a liefeld book even though liefeld had very little to do with it um so that was that was a big selling point for me like i said i, I bought these off the racks but you know i i would never get rid of these just for the art alone i i think it's if you like that type of stuff then this is an excellent example of that period of time uh and then <laughs> just the little details this is the only time I can remember seeing Cable wearing uh, reading glasses for some reason. There's a random scene where he's like pushing the glasses up the bridge of his nose like he's an anime character. And I got a kick out of that because I really like the idea that he can go into the far, far, far future, fix paralysis, regrow arms. And then he's like, no, astigmatism, I'm taking that back with me. I'm taking a stand. I like the way the glasses look. Um, I was going to say, again, I think he's just, he just, he just looking. It's like, <laughs> it's like why people wear a watch now. You have yeah. no reason to wear a watch. You carry a phone with you everywhere you go that will tell you what time it is. People only wear a watch as a fashion thing. He just likes the way he looks. You know what? He's like, look how much smarter I am. <laughs> Head cannon accepted because I, I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea that his eyes are actually fine and he puts it on because he likes he likes the way it looks. So head, head well, I mean, look accepted. at him. You see a few little things like this in here, like he's got a New York Jets mug. Yeah, I you noticed know, like, that. And I, think, yeah. I think this is one of those little things. I'm glad you brought the glasses up because I forgot. I think it's one of those little things that you're supposed to be like, oh, Cable is also a person and not this, you know, subcommandante commander act. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a that's a good point. I, I wanted to bring that up, and and I thought that was just maybe Romita at the time, but yeah, it's like it's like oh, I'm I'm Cable. I got a I got a ring of safe houses in the most beautiful parts of the world, and I lead my team on these missions, and we never lose a guy. But I also have a fully functioning time machine I only use when it's convenient, and I have this super intelligent AI I, I've named after an old X man. So so yeah, he's uh. Uh, he's a guy with with flourish, I would say. You know, another thing I really liked here that JRJR did, and I don't know if it was, uh, and Fabian may have done it, you know, whoever had the idea is the six-pack's weapons are fairly personalized. Yeah. You know, like, I know, like, Kane and Hammer and GW Bridge all use guns, but if you look, they're slightly different. Domino's got this, like, power staff, and like I said earlier, Grizzly's got these two, like, you know, freaking, like, 
anti-Mjolnir hammers that are just like, they look like they're cackling with like, you know, negative zone energy. And it's really badass. And I think that when you look at these guys, you get a sense of their personality. Like Domino's the one who can handle tight situations, uh, you know, uh, counterintelligence, counterespionage, etc. Grizzly, you look at him, you knew, but then you see the big hammers like, man, I hope we have to knock something down. <laughs> And in between, if you look at their weapons, you can kind of see that, like, Cable is also a tank. Kane is more of a skirmisher. Hammer is uh, somewhat of, you know, I mean, they all kind of, like, wind up on the same spot, you know, because of it is. But if you look at their weapons, you can kind of see what they were tailor-made for. And I really, I think that was a cool little touch, too. I give uh, Mr. Nicieza a lot of a lot of crap when we we do his stuff. But, but you know, there's one very consistent thread, which is he always makes a point of uh, telling a story, which I think is very important because a lot of people just, you know, they, they crap out 20 pages and they move on with their lives, but he makes sure you get a story. And I really like the fact that over the course of these two issues, the good guys and the bad guys are chasing all these random MacGuffins, which allow yeah. the characters to have staged battles. Uh, Dean mentioned the Silver Samurai and Clay Nishida show up. Like, you get to tour a little bit of the Marvel Universe, particularly the X Corner, and I don't know if it's J.R. Jr. or if it was in the original script but they're all apocalypse themed right because you yeah. know we know as readers apocalypse has been around since since ancient egypt so it makes sense he's traversed the world uh and it was one of those things that i really liked because even though it's not fleshed out here and again most of the things introduced in this book are not fleshed out in the two issues i, I don't know if missy yeah. is a knew he'd be able to continue it. I, I think he writes the ongoing series or whatever. He does, he does. He does start off writing cable and he's writing X-Force at this time. Which, yeah. You know, so, you know, so he had a plan. So maybe some of this stuff pays off there, but like, yeah, when you're looking at this, like, why are they collecting this apocalypse junk? <laughs> but I just decided that was something to be revealed later, not a plot hole. But like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Right now, personally. But when I first read it, I was upset, but then it, I had to read it like twice before I got that. But I, I, I like that, too, because, yeah, to, to your point, I didn't think it was a plot hole, because, again, this is two issues written in 92. He's not writing for the trade. He he knows you're going to be no. back in the store after issue two. And if you see Cable or X-Force, you're probably going to pick it up. I, I did. I, I mean, again, I'm not I'm not faulting him in any way, but I, I like that because it's like, oh, they're collecting all these artifacts. Why? You, you know, why does Strife want them? Is there some. Uh, if you if you assemble all of these things, is there a way to stop Apocalypse? Does he not want Cable to do that? Uh, did the 12 hide stuff ceremoniously around the world? I don't know, but I'm curious about it. So, again, it's one of those things where I, I like having the characters have something to do. And I just want to give Nisiez a credit on that because it's it, it, it makes it flow easier. Like, he builds the character work around the spine of actually having them do something. And then the other good thing about the MLF, which is why they work so well as a Cable and an X-Force villain, is their cannon fodder. Like, like Cable yeah. is like, the Punisher does not have a great rogues gallery because most villains don't go up against the Punisher more than once. He's not right. Spider-Man. He's not putting you in Ravencroft and hoping for the best. Cable's right. the same way. He's not rehabilitating you. He's not throwing you in a 21st century jail. So it's really interesting to see him fight sumo or samurai or kamikaze or dragoness or any of these other characters he's probably going to shoot you in the head if it makes his life easier so i find it really interesting that the mlf can keep drafting young mutants and, and some we know like rusty and skids are both they, they were characters that that uh, predate rob liefeld's 
uh, tenure in the X office. So again, it's all these things where it's like, it's not necessarily what you expect when you pick up an X-Men book, but I enjoyed it. And I think it really holds up. Yeah. Like you said, like when it comes to the MLF, like you really don't, you barely see like half of them. Like, I think you only see wild side for a second. You don't see forearm at all. You don't see the guy with the knife from Madison square garden in the carnage series. Like just stab a <laughs> guy. She's ready. He might be amused. You know what I'm saying? Like he can uh... the MLF. Please. He might, he might be he a mutant. Be a mutant. <laughs> Look, he stuck that big oh, knife no. in the Madison Square Garden. Maybe he's got an invisible knife. Maybe that's his power. I don't Ooh. know. But like, he, he could be in the MLS. That's all I'm oh, saying. Oh, man. Who do you want to write that story? The I mean, who? who? Alan Moore. <laughs> You know, the climax of Watchmen takes place in Madison Square Garden. I'm saying he he's done oh, it before. Shit. He's it was, done listen, it before. If he was there, he stabbed somebody. I don't, you know, I mean, if he wasn't one of the people who died, he absolutely stabbed a motherfucker. Because uh, why wouldn't you at that point if you're that guy? You know? <laughs> I, right. I, I know they did an entire arc of all the bit characters in that Watchmen show. I wish he had been in that. It's like he could have uh. been the Mormon missionary or <laughs> or stabbing a squid or something like that. But he <laughs> right. make an appearance. Uh, so I enjoyed what we got here. We get a, a, a story that kind of shows you the relationship between Cable and Strife. And I mean, we kind of get that all important moment where cable gets the realization that the person that he has been going after all these years is could possibly either be him or certainly looks like him what the hell is going on it definitely is kind of an important step in That's the cable slash honestly when you when i read cable other places around the same time executioner song it seemed like cable always knew they looked the same but i right. guess this is where you learned that you know but like yeah yeah, but what a moment. What a fucking moment. Right, dude. As for you guys were talking about JRJR and his art and look, I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest art critic or anything like that. You know, I know what what I feel looks good and and what I gravitate towards. I love his art. I don't know for me if the I don't know if it's the anchor that's kind of turning me off here. Dan Green's the anchor, but you guys were talking about how there could have been a rush to get this done. I kind of get that vibe a little bit. Yeah. I'm just well, I'm just going to say that. I also remember, and I don't know if this wound up the intention or whatever, but y'all remember those American Entertainment, Entertainment This Month ads? Right, well, I remember yeah. they had a thing for Cable, and it had the cool logo, which was like, his logo is like that sideways, diagonal X-Men, X-Force type thing. And like, it said, the origin of Cable revealed. And first off, absolutely not. If that was what was going on, you know, no. But I wonder if that was the original thing, but they just went with, you know, you know we'll tie it by. I mean, there is some origin stuff here, but not an origin per se. And maybe American entertainment was just, you know, bullshit. Probably yeah. wouldn't be the first time. But like, I remember reading that before, you see that in the comment before I read this and feeling like I did not get that. You know, mm -hmm. but but like maybe if it was rushed, that was the original intent, and they just like just make or or that was like, hey, actually, don't do that to keep it really mysterious. I wonder right. what happened he, with that. You know, that's a that's a very good possibility. I mean, this is a very fluent time for Cable too. I mean, at this point, yeah. he's what's being revealed in the other books, what's not being revealed. Okay, should we reveal this now? Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should hold back and leave a few things vague. There, um, he's about to be dead in quotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, hey, I think we covered a good bit here. As as uh, short as I thought this was going to be, I think we did a fantastic job and and talking a lot about the X universe, especially you know Cable and Strife and everything that surrounds them. 
final, I mean, anything left unsaid here, guys, I will, I will give the floor to you. Dean, we'll start with you. What are your final thoughts? Well, you know, my final thoughts on these two issues are absolutely worth reading. Get them on Unlimited, you know, probably not super expensive. They're part of the recent Executioner song uh, tra- uh, epic collection. So, you know, you know, get them there. But one of the things that, as I was reading this, that got me thinking was a lot of Marvel characters and Marvel villains have kind of a DC analog, and it's usually obvious to see. But, like, I started thinking about, like, who's Apocalypse? Who's the Apocalypse analog in DC? And the guy I came up with, I think it's a little offbeat, but, like, and I want to get y'all's opinions, it's 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 Mordrew. It's the, the guy from Legion of oh, He was I never like born. That. He will never die. Yeah. He has all of these plans that have been going on since the dawn of time that apparently stretch until the end of time. Yeah. He's not a mutant, but he certainly uses weird technology the way uh, Apocalypse does. And his magic almost makes it up for, you know, makes it different. That was the best analogy I could come up with from a DC character. I'm, no, I'm, I like that a lot especially because in, in my head i always equate the legion with the x-men so that so you- that that's a really that's a really good lineup because yeah you're talking about like you know the legion is rolled around time travel and they can fight more in any period of time and it's the same thing with apocalypse whenever a character goes back to you know sands and pyramids and whatnot you probably are going to fight in Sabanur at some point right. so yeah I, I think narratively those two are, are really closely related i would have never made that connection well done or if I'll- you go back in time in the marvel universe the two gun kids you'll fight apocalypse but honestly i love it it's one of my favorite things about the marvel universe is somehow everything happens right. my favorite thing about the marvel universe and i was just talking to, to this about a bunch of people is it starts with namor the submariner and the human torch like having a fight that pretty much destroys half of new york city yeah. and then the second we are in world war ii all the characters are granted blanket amnesty, and they're like, as long as you're fighting access powers, we don't care what you did beforehand. And then Ed Brubaker in the Marvels Project would make that canon of like someone sitting in a room with Namor going, listen, we know you did a lot of bad stuff, but you seem to want to kill Nazis, so we're not going to make a big deal, and we're going to tell everyone you're Cap's friend. Are you cool with that? And he's like, you're you're going to let me kill Nazis, right? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, worry. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Human Torch, it's the same way. I mean, Human Torch starts off as like a retelling of the Frankenstein story. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, you're a policeman. In fact, you've always been a policeman. You're a nice Irish guy. You're going to go kill Nazis. Specifically, you're going to burn Hitler to death. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a plan. I love telling people that, like, actually, I think a month ago I let Emily know. I was like, canonically in the Marvel Universe, the original Human Torch killed Hitler, like the, burned him the to death. The first Marvel character burned Adolf Hitler to death in yeah. Earth 616. That has been yeah. – that is Roy Thomas. You don't get more canon than that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Now, sometimes Hitler got – Hitler's brain got better, but – Torch did it to him first. Yeah. And he'll do it to him again. <laughs> Fuck you, Nazi. I was going to say, Torch is still alive. If you told Torch he had to go kill the hate monger, he'd be like, oh, great. I had nothing else to do this afternoon. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I guess I'll resign from Oracle Incorporated. <laughs> I, guess I, I guess I'll resign from this company that was founded with, like, the treasure found in the Black Pearl because John Byrne is even weirder than you think he is. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But like, Mordor, like the Legion stuff is complicated. It's funny. Oh, Legion fans try and tell you that it's not, 
but it is like it really is and it's hard to keep up with the only thing you have to know about more drew is he's like i said he's a super powerful wizard and the legend is he was never born he will never die he's all he's like in charge of like the wizard's planet and like he basically just owns the legion again and again until they get whatever MacGuffin they need to beat him he's also fought like the justice league and the justice society in modern times because he's lived you know he's lived forever okay Anything the people there? were like, oh man, I love cable. What's the Venn diagram of people are like, I hope I hear about Mordrew out of nowhere on this motherfucker? <laughs> like, it's got to be pretty small, but listen, email me if that's you because. We're- uh, we, yeah, we've. we've, we've, we've well, who it. would you say then is, is the cable analog? Because I, I have a thought, but I want to see who you would say. It's different for me, I I guess, at different times, but oddly enough, like, Deathstroke is probably the one for me who comes across, like, the most Cable-esque, which is weird because I think a lot of people connect Deadpool and Deathstroke, but, like, I see Deathstroke and Cable more uh, analogous. I I agree 100%. I I, I think that, you know, there's a very good chance that Rob Liefeld was like, okay, I really want to do Deathstroke, but I want to do him twice. I want to do the cool Spider-Man mask. I'm going to make that a separate character. And then when he's not wearing the mask and he's got the old man look and one of his eyes is messed up, I'm going to make that a separate character. So I, I agree. You know, just Slade, a dash of Terminator. Just a little, a little bit, a little, little, little bit, a little bit of Terminator. Um, but the the other thing that I always go back to is Hawkman because I feel like yeah, I can see that. Cable's got the most confusing Marvel origin I've ever come across. Like I said before, you you ask six different people our age, you're going to get six different things. He was in Deadpool 2. His origin doesn't resemble any of the ones in the comics. Like, he's just one of those characters you can pick and choose. There's no power and responsibility speech another character has to give, and that's great. And to me, across the street, Hawkman's the same way. Like, there are a dozen Hawkman origins. They're all ridiculous, but they all end the same way, which is a guy with a mace beating up a fascist. Yeah. And, and I kind of feel like it's the same way where it's like, if there was, you know, if they walked into the bar with no name, Nathan Dayspring and Carter Hall was sitting there, they get to talking after a while. I, I just <laughs> think like, you know what? You guys were separated at birth, but you'd, you'd probably get along. You got a lot in common down to the, the women you love who can only sometimes stand you. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like, the biggest difference, honestly, is that Cable is probably much more liberal than Hawkman. So, like, but no, but for real, but, like, Hawkman and Green Arrow have a very fun relationship. I feel like it would yeah. be very similar, except there would be more respect because they both feel like they're soldiers. What yeah. about you, Jesse? Who's Cable's DC analog? Oh, man. I, Jesse, I Je- no... Jesse hates questions. <laughs> hates, I, I, hates these questions. Hates them. Yeah. Submit them three hours before this podcast next time. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I I wish I knew enough about the DC universe to give you guys a good idea. I'm trying to think of like the first thing I would look for is like, okay, give me a time traveling uh, superhero because that's what I associate Cable with the most. Yeah. And then if there's some kind of like bionics or you know metal alloy on this person's body, okay, now I'm gonna go ahead and say, okay, that's right. Uh, personality wise, I would have no clue because I don't know enough of them in there. But looks you know wise, what? you just described linear men, Rip Hunter, mm. Rip Hunter. Specifically linear men rip hunter. Cause yeah. like he leads like wave riders on a team. I can't remember who else is, but oh, he's got like okay. cyborg parts at this point, And like, they protect the time stream. And sometimes he shows up and gets in Superman's face and says, he's full of shit. And sometimes he gets, you know, shows up and gets in like, you know, dark side space and says he's full of shit, you know, and just because his, his whole thing is like protecting the time stream. But like you said, somebody who time travels, 
who comes across as a grizzled vet with metal parts, Linear Man Rip Hunter. Yeah, I like look, that. I like I'm looking that. at a picture right now. I, I would bet that someone at DC was like, hey, this cable's really popular. Don't we have a time traveler? Can you give him a metal arm? Can we work Does that? Does he have a cool name? Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, the, the only other thing I want to mention is, is we, we've we've touched on it a little bit, but these two issues are really the story of Kane, right? I mean, I mean, like, yeah. this is, you know, Kane's your POV character. Cable's got this huge mythology that's being hinted at here. We know that it's going to be fleshed out. It continues to be fleshed out today. But, you know, Kane is is this really interesting character. The All the char- all the other characters refer to him as the kid, as the youngin, as the rookie, as, as again, you know, you're supposed to think like, oh, he's got his whole future ahead of him maybe he won't be sucked into this you know life of constant war but of course he is and he makes a ton of sacrifices there's references of him going through the weapon x project which again it's it's not really explored here but anyone who's read the original barry windsor smith knows that that's not a good thing you know wolverine's origin is he didn't want to be weapon x he was forced to be so it's the same read the grant morrison uh reimagining of it except for captain america none of it's great yeah, exactly. I mean, weapon. <laughs> and plus. you can argue that that wasn't, you know, it, it wound up as good as it could have just because Steve Rogers, you know. But like otherwise, I don't know. Yeah, no, and 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 the whole point of that arc, uh, here comes tomorrow, is or return to Weapon Plus, excuse me, is that no one wants to tell Steve Rogers that he was the first one because he doesn't want to think like, oh, people tried to duplicate me, and look at the horrors and crimes that they committed, including you know committing Logan to this this life of of servitude to violence. So no, no, that's a, that's a really good point. But but my point here is, Kane kind of agrees to this terrible process because he wants revenge and and that's a really dark path for the young bright-eyed character to go down and uh you see why you you see that cable betrayed him and hurt the mentor figure and kind of betrayed the team right like kane's the one who's like we should be called the six pack like this beer that i found at this fancy party like you know he's an alcoholic and it's (laughs) but but kane's the heart of the team i guess is my point Right. So when he gets taken out, when you see how dark he goes, you realize like, oh, this is what Cable is trying to avoid with Cannonball. This is what Cable is trying to avoid with his new team of soldiers who are all as young as Kane was. Not only is he thinking, trying to avoid it, he thinks it's too late to avoid it. Exactly. He mentions yeah. it several times. It's like, ah, fuck, I blew it with Sam, you know? Yeah. Right. Right, yeah. right, yeah. I just thought that was interesting because, again, I, I I do like that there is a, a real arc here. And if it's not necessarily Cable's, it's it's definitely Kane's because, uh, you know, he, he may end it in a place where it's like, oh, okay, we're we're going to be friends. But there's a lot of darkness. And if he could, he would have killed the main character. So I, I find that to be very interesting when the, uh, you know, the antagonist of the second part of a two-part story is not only very relatable, but he might be more morally in the right than the protagonist. So I, I thought that was a good turn. One question, though, like, you know, where he's like, oh, man, should I time travel in the future to save both of us? Or should I go back three seconds and kill Strife? I'm like, why don't you just go back and kill Strife? Like, like mm. then you won't be hurt, right? Like, you could do both. You could do both. 
But then maybe it just doesn't work that way. And I get it. I'm not really trying to shit on it. But, like, that's the first thing I love. Just go back and kill him. Then you won't have these mortal injuries. Cable, uh, Doctor Who, he ain't when it comes, <laughs> when it comes to maybe the time travel. Maybe it's a fixed point in time. I don't know. It's a, yeah. I was just, just going to say, Strife is a fixed point in time. He can't. He's got to leave Amy Pond in Depression-era New York for some reason. Right. He can't kill Strife. And whether because he thinks he's a clone or whatever else, it's like, nope, sorry. Can't can't do it. Can't be a that's an episode 17 thing oh okay all right well let's go ahead we will close up shop here and get into plugs uh this has been our discussion of cable blood and metal two issue series dean compton why don't you tell me what's going on over there on the unspokendecade.com well man uh simby fan uh just posted a new article we just posted an article yesterday um, so you're the unspokendecade.com, all of our older articles. And if you uh, if you enjoyed hearing us ramble here about cable for a while, I strongly suggest you go check out Derry's article about the uh, Joe Casey Ladron era of cable. It is uh, it it looks amazing. It comes across it, it it's uh it's arguably the most fun you'll ever see cable, both visually and story-wise. So, and he does a great job encapsulating it. So if you're like, boy, I'd like to read that, but that's like 20 issues. I've only got 20 minutes. Do I have the article for you? <laughs> Over at Facebook, uh, you know, we're posting stuff every day. Sydney fan tends to run that. I've been pretty active on uh, Twitter lately, so come over there and say hi. I've been responding to more things. And also, like, God, y'all, I bought, like, $200 for the San Diego Toys today, and I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. And I've been talking about it at the Twitter. So, you know, like, I just got this Grimlock I'm showing him. It's great. Like this giant Marvel book. Hello. I'm talking about this stuff. Oh. Talking about this shit on my Twitter more, you know, personally, not just 90s comic stuff. So, I mean, if you think I'm like 3% fascinating, I would check it out. <laughs> and obviously I'm 100, 100. <laughs> That's what they soon learn after they visit that Twitter. Well, they learn uh, that they're probably going to hear about the guy from the carnage <laughs> issues with the knife. I'm changing my profile picture. All right. <laughs> 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 oh shit hey on the source material comics feed i will tell you that la this week it was yesterday yesterday uh it was me myself benjamin j cologne and alexis hannah we discussed tmnt's the last ronin that was yeah that was five issues of a really good story in my opinion we had a great discussion about it prior to that on on monday it's sad sad isn't it dean on Monday, Fugitoid dropped. Did a small little solo podcast on Fugitoid number one. So if you want to learn who Fugitoid is, check that out. It was a lot of fun just to sit there and, and uh, read it, read over it, and you could get to hear me experience what was happening in that uh, in that issue. And uh, also, I talked about the action figures. I was like, hey, yeah, Fugitoid had a couple action figures, and guess who voiced the Fugitoid? And oh, I, I, it's one of the. I think it might have been the 2012. Well. I'd have to. I think it was, up, a, but it was the 2012 one. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. It was, uh, it was by golly. Doctor Who himself, David Tennant, voiced the Fugitoid. That. Yeah. So the 27th, how about that? The 27th, you should be able to go back into the archive and listen to myself, Dean Compton, Derry Waite, talking about the Soviet super soldiers and cyber force 
and the exiles. Oh yeah. Now you're going to tune in. All right. So, <laughs> but yeah, check that out. That's uh, that's a happening. And I'm, I'm guesting all over the place. Uh, I should be on uh, an episode of small screeners, which is hosted by our friend, Chris Armstrong, who happens to be on the unspoken issues podcast quite a bit. That's happening. This, uh, at, at some point we're going to be talking creature features. We're going to be talking about trimmers too. Also, should be in the archive, maybe in future podcasts. I don't know, but uh, we do have an unspoken issues on tap for a sleepwalker. It is Darkhawk coming together for a three par- three issue story title. I think it's like Portals of Power. Uh, so check that out. But other than that, we are going to be closing up shop here. Thanks, uh, of course. Shout out to the W2M Network for hosting the podcast for Dean Compton for Dairy Wait. I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Uh, bye bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. (laughs) 